Um, so this is our processing room. This is where we do all the butchery. We built this out of a fertiliser shed. So this used to be the room where they would keep the pellets of fertiliser. This is Lauren Mathers. She's the linchpin of Bandara, a free-range regenerative pig farm in southern New South Wales. It's just east of Barham on the Murray River. The butchery she's showing me around is a converted feed storage shed in Barham's industrial district. It's a step up from the old butchery they ran on their property. Lauren runs Bandara with her husband Lachlan, their three kids, and Lauren's mum and dad. They're a busy bunch. Yeah, so the, at the moment there's the farm. So it starts in the paddock. So we've got like a cover crop program. We've got resting, breeding. We've got farrowing, weaning them, vaccinating them. They all get vaccinated. We also have, we have on-farm events. And the second part of the business is obviously the butchery. We process them into wholesale. So every week we're cutting and packing for orders to go out. We do production, so we, we make goods. The other side of the business is doing other people's butchery for them. We also do some contract small goods making for a few other farmers. Um, and so that's it really. Like, but we also do a few direct sales out of the deli and then we go to the Casamain Farmers Market once a month. In the last 12 months or two years, definitely two years, but even more so in the last 12 months, I've really found a direction that I'm happy with and I feel like I could grow more and that's the regenerative space and that's, you know, it's been life-changing. I'm Sam Loy and welcome to Propagate, the show for young farmers and fishers. This season... We're looking at farmers who run value-add businesses, a generation of growers focused on sustainability, regenerative land management, and closing the gap between producers and consumers. Pig farming in Australia has become big business. The large players, like the Korowa Piggery, have over 45,000 sows, but at Bandara, we used to have 80 plus, but um, we've been making salami. <laughs> so our numbers are gradually decreasing, but we're breeding more to replace them. But, you know, 80 is enough. It's way more than we actually need. But in a free range farm, you do get losses, you know, because they're, they're farrowing out and like we're just having babies, they're farrowing out in the paddock and you can lose pigs to cold, to getting squashed, to foxes, whatever happens. So we do run more pigs than what we actually need. Going into farming for me was always something that I was going to do. I just didn't know what. And I worked in environmental natural resource management for a few years after uni. All of a sudden, all these farmers that were splashing water around, growing all these amazing crops and whatever, they, all of a sudden they had less water. I just thought, well, why don't you just grow something that uses less water or why don't you just farm less land and grow something high value? And Lockie lived on this property he only had an acre but the surrounding 65 acres was just sitting there and I was like why well, we could grow something and the more I looked into it and did my research I got like fascinated with you know raising pigs and different breeds different flavors different you know adaptability out in the paddock so I thought you know how hard is that going to be I could just I could just get a pig and we could just have our own pork how cool would that be and you know, we could start a farmer's market and we could buy all this produce locally and everyone else could have access to this local food. So that's what we did. We um, 
well, I, I say we, I mean me, myself. Locke was not on board. I went and found a pig and brought her home. This pig was Doris, who Lauren found from a property across the road. She wasn't the most high-performing pig, but Lauren was very taken by Doris. Very badly put together, had terrible feet. But she was really pretty. She had white eyelashes. And that's what sucked Locke in. Then I caught him one day at home after we built a little paddock for her. He um, was out there scratching her behind the ear going, hello, hello, Doris. And I was like, oh, he's in. <laughs> that was it. He goes, oh, she's got white eyelashes. I don't know. <laughs> Lauren and her husband, Lachlan, were still only on one acre. But Lauren started bringing home more pigs. No matter what. She was convinced they'd be able to work things out. So off we went. The first farmer's market, we sold our first batch of pork and um, we hadn't eaten it before, the first farmer's market that we'd started. And I remember we cooked this beautiful roast and right where I'm sitting actually now, mum, mum was sitting at the table and waiting for us all to sit down. And I was like, don't eat anything yet. And I hear this crunch. <laughs> mum's like, oh, oh, Lauren, this is magnificent pork. I was like, mum, we haven't even tasted it yet. And we sat down and ate it. I was like, this does not taste like pork. I said, what is this meat? I said, this is amazing. And that, I can still remember how it tasted and that was it. Like we, I just thought, far out, this is going to be something. And off we went. So in 2011, they began leasing 30 acres of land from Lachlan's dad, Brian, and they started pig farming. Lauren says it was a peppercorn lease, which basically means they paid unders for what it was worth. In this case, they paid Brian in pork and built some infrastructure on the property. Four years later, with a housing loan from the bank, they bought the 65 acres at Bandara. There wasn't much on it at first, besides the house, some stables and a few fenced paddocks. But over the years, they've added to what they had, building a butchery in 2013, a charcuterie kitchen, and more recently converting an old train wagon they randomly bought into an Airbnb cottage. The path to all this, though, it wasn't easy. Lauren says they struggled to find financiers that would believe in their vision of small-scale sustainable farming. We've never had, you know, an amazing ability to lend money because we started off with nothing and we've built it from nothing, basically. The framework around the farming loans were based on acres, so acreage. Under a certain amount of acres, you weren't deemed a farm. So, like, it's like, yeah, it was really tough to come to terms. It's like, sorry, you're not a real farmer. Basically, that's what they're saying. That's since changed to income. So we had to take a mortgage on the house. Building our butchery on the farm was paid out of cash because we're doing farmer's markets all the time, so we had good cash flow back then. So any bit of spare cash went into doing stuff on the farm and then building the butchery. So the butchery, I think, all up was about 100 grand by the time we patched it all together after, over a few years. And that last, that was fine, but it was very limiting and blows me away when I go out there now and think, how the hell did we set up a business in here? It was so tiny. So the space that we have now, which we fought to get, was like 10 times bigger than what we had on the farm. So I guess for the first few years, the home loan was fine, but then no line of credit. So... Anything that we needed had to come directly out of the business, which is why we did so many farmers markets, which is why we needed to keep doing extra. We did farm events, we did workshops, we did all these things to try and capture as much cash as we could. 
This constant need to scrimp and scrounge had a growing impact on Lauren's stress levels, particularly when they were looking to expand. I was breaking down all the time. I was getting sick. I was, you know, not in a good headspace. Eventually crashed a couple of times, actually. I got Bell's palsy once and really had to stop everything because I was in a lot of pain and I was just wrecked and I was just sick all the time. I would have an event day before, sick, like really sick. And my body was just screaming at me. So the financial pressure was horrendous. Our bank manager, um, he was a business banker, not really an agribusiness banker. And because what we do is kind of a bit weird, like we're living on this tiny farm, we're producing a higher value product, we're butchering it ourselves and we send it to the customers. To expand on that, he didn't see us for what we were doing and didn't understand the bigger picture. And it was heartbreaking so all this work that I put into this business was just, no, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. He just kept saying it's not good enough. <sighs> so I got advice from a financial advisor. I said, I can't, What's, what are we doing wrong? He goes, you're not doing anything wrong. It's a great business. I said, well, why can't we get finance? And he said, you're just not talking to the right people. He goes, you're too involved with what you're doing. He said, you need to put someone on step back and start working on your business instead of in your business. And I sound so cliche, but he said, if you'll get, we need to find you another bank manager to start with. So through friends, Lauren was recommended a new banker. So she came here, she was pregnant and we sat at the kitchen table and I told her what we wanted to do and what we were doing. And she said, no worries, let's do it. And I just burst into tears and I said, what? And she, she goes, no, no, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's amazing. We can do this. In 2020, and with a new financial ally on board, Bandara moved their on-farm butchery into an old feed storage shed in Barham's industrial district. We spent too much money on it, <laughs> but it's going to be worth it in the end, yeah. We, Dad and I built the cool room panelling shell inside this shed and turned it into our butchery. We had to rip out all the concrete and put new pipes and everything in and we only could borrow to a certain amount with that, and to fit it out, we had to put a lot of things on short-term finance. Uh, so it's really exciting, but financially strangling. <laughs> and for a while, it all worked as intended. But the running costs at the butchery were high, and they weren't making much money. So Bandara made the bold decision to scale down on their output. The staff costs for us were humongous. And I had the deli at the front as well, so we were carrying a lot of stock. So we sort of set up a pantry-style deli with, you know, lots of cheese and lots of different products. So to carry that stock was expensive. Um, it was good, though. Like, it was brought in sort of six grand a week from that, but I needed someone to staff it. So I was always in there or mum was in there or just running that was its own little business. And I was like, well, didn't really consider that when we set that up. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And then at one stage I had two full-time butchers and three full-time packing staff and they would just go, 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 go. We took on some big customers that wanted bulk every week and we didn't have the stock to service that, but I needed the throughput. So we were sort of geared in a way that we were told you need to have X amount of pigs coming through here every week and this is what you need to make. So I was like, okay, we'll do that. So we're doing like 25 pigs a week. We needed a lot of staff to process them. Huge packaging costs, like eh, like the power bill was humongous. Everything, it was just, it was push, push, push. 
Our income was great. It was up around a million bucks, but the cost of doing that was like over 900,000. It was really hard. Nothing was getting paid down. So we've, we've downsized. So we're doing less and have better profit margin now. We do less products, you know, have less staff and just do what's manageable now. We do our online deliveries once a month and the rest of the time we can spend time making charcuterie, you know, working with other people, just doing what we do, doing it better. It's been a lot better. We put, yeah, solar on the roof. So we've got batteries for backup now as well. So we don't draw anything off the grid. So we have no power bill, which is amazing, but we're paying that off too. So (laughs) so it's another payment in the bank. But, you know, once everything's paid off, I mean, it's going to be pretty fantastic. So the 65 acres at Bandara were paid for with a home loan. And with cash, they built a kitchen and butchery on the property. Then they used a business loan to buy the shed for their new butchery and to pay for builders and electricians. Short-term loans have filled in the shortfall on all the other things needed to fit out the place. It's been a hard slog, but as Lauren said, it'll be worth it in the long run. Lauren believes in every arm of their business and the regenerative and sustainable philosophies that underpin them all. It's something that Lauren has seen the need for firsthand. So we always just thought having the pigs in big open paddocks, heaps of space to roam around, all very nice. And it's great. It's a great way to farm pigs. But after four four or five years, you notice a few things sort of changing. You see things disappearing from the landscape, like we saw a lot of native grasses disappear. Um, We don't have any much phalaris left in the paddock, so a lot of perennial grasses were going away. We saw water sitting on top of the soil. And when I saw that, I was like, "That, that's not cool. Something's going wrong here. And we'd always just harrowed. We'd never ploughed here, but always just harrowed in and, um, and tried to rest the land. The lock sort of didn't understand at the start what we were doing. And I said, no, we've got to rest this land longer. We're going to have to try and rest this land. We've got to try and get some of these grasses back. And um, so we started keeping more pigs on one spot and then moving them along and did that and saw sort of the country recover a little bit. It was still in drought though, so it was it was really hard. We put out like 500, like biodynamic 500 preparations and stuff on the soil. We have seen like a good response from that, but we were still missing that diversity out in the paddock. I mean, we had predominantly now we had sort of rye grasses and barley grass and, you know, a few weeds and stuff and nothing too interesting. And mostly they would just pop up after we'd taken the pigs out. So... So the more that we can rest the farm now, and which is why we've got that other block, is to so this place can regenerate, and we're seeing already seeing some of the benefits from that. That other block Lauren just mentioned is a 130-acre parcel of land down the road. It was a parting gift to Lachlan after he finished up at the family business. But the land isn't ready for stock or crops just yet. It's got an old creek that runs through it that we, we're going to regenerate revegetate either side of it and try and get some environmental water into it because you can see there's like a big deep water hole there. You know, it might we might do a burn there. We're talking to some eco ecology burning um, mob at the moment about coming up and doing a burn in autumn to see if that'll sort of help some of the native grasses bounce back. So, yeah, it's just a really careful approach to managing it. I don't want to put a heap of pigs up there and then go, oh, 
shouldn't have done that. <laughs> like, and we want to add cattle and maybe some sheep to our regime, a few birds. So it's just a really careful management of it. I kind of don't want to farm it at all. I just want to look after it. But, you know, <laughs> can't do that. We'll farm something. <laughs> Back at Bandara, Lauren has brought in land to market, a regenerative agriculture organisation to conduct ecological testing. This lets them know the carbon content of their soil and gives them a better idea of what they can do with their paddocks. Yeah, I think it's exciting because we know we've got good soil, but it's how do we best manage it with pigs, especially because they eat everything. You know, how do we best manage pigs? And like a lot of the stuff that's out there now is based around cattle grazing, like Maya grazing, cattle, sheep. Everything's about grazing cattle. People don't talk about grazing pigs. And it's, you know, it's not class the same as grazing. You're sort of intensively cropping, I guess, to feed the pigs. So we want to sort of change that stigma around pigs is to say, no, well, they are grazing because they head down, bum up in the grass all day. It's like, how do we, how do we manage them like you manage cattle, basically? But it's more about not just what we're doing with the pigs, it's how do we bring in other people too to jump on the wagon with regen farming. And maybe there's someone out there that wants to grow veggies, but they don't have any land. Or maybe they want to grow some chooks, but they don't have any land. Like where they could come and work with us and we could do like a split enterprise or or something. I just like being around people that are doing things and, you know, learning about the soil and it's a really nice environment to be in. As a business, I think we have that responsibility too to share what we're learning along the way and bringing other people into that space would be so good. You know, we're only small but I guess those practices that we have are they are something that we can keep doing forever and that's what sustainable is. We can't keep farming the way that, you know, conventional farming is happening. There's got to be different ways and I think some, a lot of farmers around here now are starting to use manures and I think that'll only just grow as it gets less economical to put fertilisers out. They're going to have to, they're going to be forced to either get off the land or do something different but it's only going to happen through economics. With a free-range pig farm, a butchery, a deli, an Airbnb and now a new meat subscription service, you could be forgiven for thinking Bandara is all sunshine and roses. But the financial pressures are never far away. Whether it be the problem of securing finance or maintaining the passion to keep all those wheels turning, as Lauren has said, these things can take a toll. But it's not just money that can keep a pig farmer up at night. Animals can present their own unique challenges. Yeah, it is really hard. Like we used to name all the sows and, and it sounds terrible, but that, they have numbers now. We have a few favourites, like five or six favourites that have special little pet names. You know, I wish I was a veggie farmer <laughs> sometimes and I think I'm going to get into veggies or flowers or something just to ease it a bit. But yeah, there is days where I can't, I can't do it. And I, like Lockie's been great because he's really come on board with managing the livestock more, more so, and he, he's the one who gets them in for slaughter and, and does all that because if I had to do that every week, I think I'd just give up. This opportunity came up to buy a whole herd of another farmer, but they had 40 pigs. So we had 40. The difference was that ours had grown up out in the paddock and these pigs that we bought, beautiful pigs, hadn't been outside a shed 
you know, they wouldn't get out of the trailer. They were used to just being jammed up against each other. They didn't know what to do out in the paddock. They littered, like they farrowed all over the place. We lost all their piglets that year. They just didn't know how to behave like a pig. Like they didn't have a sow stall. And it was the hardest, the second hardest thing that we've faced during pig farming. And I just thought these poor animals, you know, and that drove me even more to make sure that we were breeding pigs to be as naturally piggy as they could be. Hear Lauren say that was the second hardest thing they've faced pig farming? Yeah, second hardest by a long way. I just started a catering company um, with my girlfriend Cynthia and we were off, we were all excited. That morning we were going to do our first wedding together and we went and catered for this wedding. It was like 46 degrees, it was so hot and Locke was buzzing around down the paddock on the bobcat and then when we got home that night he was really quiet and we were like buzzing from the wedding, you know, like it was so good. And and um, he was really quiet and he's, I said, what's wrong? Are you all right? How was your day? And he just burst into tears. I said, what happened? It was the middle of summer and most of Southern Australia was battling through a heat wave. And we were checking the troughs twice a day, but this one trough blew out overnight. And by the time we got to them in the morning, they were all dead. There was a hundred you know that, you like when your pet dog dies, it was worse than that. And I just, that, this noise came out of me and I was just, it was awful. Fuck, it was awful. And um, that, so yeah, water, water is one of those things that you, we take for granted, I think. And we should have had a backup trough. I think you can get complacent about fixing things or checking things and you just can't. That, we had to start from scratch after that. With the benefit of passing time, Lauren is able to look at losing the 100 pigs as a learning experience. She says they could write a book on what not to do. You know, like fencing, how to keep pigs in, how to handle them, low-stress animal handling, you know, how to recognise things with pigs, you know, they have a certain language, I guess, like the pig language, it's like how to communicate with them, what they need. You know, how many you should have at once? Nutrition, it's a huge thing. And I still question nutrition to this day about, you know, what pigs actually need to eat. Do they actually need to eat grains and pellets and overlays and minerals? Do they need all those things? You know, you see pigs in the wild, they don't grow fast, but they grow and they're tasty. So, you know, my next mission would be to eliminate supplementary feed. But, you know, that's a whole nother learning curve. And as awful as the experience was at an emotional level, losing that many pigs also had a big financial impact. The fact that we lost them all and the feed that we'd put into them, like we didn't have an income now for the, to pay for that feed. So that put us back like six, six to eight months on payments. Plus then you're having to pay for new pigs coming through and you have to feed them up again. It was, yeah, it's not something I ever want to go through again. That was really, really hard. Um, you know, I don't know if we've fully, I know we always seem to be chasing our tails literally, but that was, yeah, it was a big hit. And the quality of the pork that you're buying in to replace what you've got, it's not the same. So you sort of, you, you lose your integrity alongside that as you're doing it. But at the same time, you want to keep your customers happy. But we did actually tell some of our customers that we can't do pork for another few months until we 
you know, this has happened. We've, you know, lost a few animals. And I was like embarrassed, ashamed, you know, guilty. We had all these emotions running around it. But um, I can talk about it now because it's been, it's been quite a while. And I think people need to know like that, you know, these things can happen and you've got to, you've got to move on and, and learn from them. But um, yeah, it was financially, it was a nightmare. One thing that's clear about Lauren is that rain, hail or shine, she'll always be on the move, always trying to get stuff done. And about six years back, the local abattoir unexpectedly and suddenly shut its doors. All the local producers had to take their stock to Echuca, about an hour away. But then that abattoir shut its doors too. The next closest place was Benella, two and a half hours away. Lauren feared they would shut as well. So in true Lauren Mathers style, she did something about it. I called as many farmers as I knew. We put on some beers and some sausages. And we had this meeting. And um, we all agreed at that time was that we would start our own abattoir. Not a mobile one. We'd already looked at the feasibility of doing a mobile one. But a small decentralised abattoir for this region um, and that we would set it up as a cooperative because we were sick of people, other people having say over what happened with our animals. And um, that's how it started. So we tossed around ideas for a few years, looked at different sites, engaged ethical fields to do a business case for us, feasibility studies. We got a little bit of funding for that. It was like 20 grand to do a feasibility study. And it was, you know, it was feasible just with eight farmers. So the cooperative pulled together a heap of funds out of the memberships and bought this four hectares of land. During that time, we'd also gathered momentum with getting a really good business case going. And at the time, the council came on board and said, you know, this is a great project. We really want to support this. We don't know how, but if there's anything that you need, we can support it. At the New South Wales um, Trade and Investment, they sort of encouraged the council to come on board and help us apply for a growing local economies infrastructure grant. So they sort of encouraged the council to come on board and um, apply for the funding. So we applied for that, which was 2.2 or 1.8 million, which seemed like like an infathomable amount of money to build what we wanted to build. Surely it's not going to cost that much. Um, and then we applied for the community drought funding, which was to help people be more resilient in drought communities. And obviously having an abattoir close by for people was going to be a plus. So we we received, and then we applied for another one. I can't remember what the other one was, but we received all of the money. And we were just blown away. We were just like, I cannot believe this is going to happen. Lauren and Lachlan Mathers built Bandara from nothing. Shunned by the bank, they didn't let it falter their resolve or determination. Where many would have given up, They forged ahead. And Lauren is incredibly passionate about building her local community. I want to see this region prosper. And it's not just about pig farming. Like, it's nothing. It's not really about pig farming at all. It's about that bigger picture of how do we work together as a community to be really resilient and make it a great place to live and to bring kids up in and to look after our environment at the same time. And I think all those things work hand in hand together. Like, we're building... We're building framework for people to prosper here. And I think um, I think it's really important. 
And if we can build a mindset around that same process, you have your framework for, you know, community prosper, but also that mindset of caring for our environment and doing things a little bit differently and innovatively and grabbing opportunities when you can, it just makes us more resilient because we're going to have more water taken off us. The climate is changing. How do we survive that? And I don't want to see my kids grow up with nothing. Like it breaks my heart to think that they might not have soil, that they'll have to eat canned food, you know, like not having access to food and quality air and farmland. Things are doable. You just have to have people around you to enable it to happen. Above all, though, Lauren's mindful to not let the business get too big in the pursuit of more profits. That's not what they want. They're doing all right. And barring any unforeseen calamity, they'll continue to do all right. Lauren knows they don't need to grow simply because it improves their bottom line. Bandara will determine how big Bandara gets, while focusing on the things that matter to them. Ethical farming, small-scale sustainability, and their local community. If you're constantly chasing, 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 you're not concentrating on what you're actually doing it for. Whereas at this pace that we're going, it's, it's manageable. I think it's going to be better to keep staff. And it's, it's, just, it's just better. It's just slower. You know, far, <laughs> I can't stand the fastness anymore, the pace. Uh, I don't want anything to become too big. It's, you know, it's not what it's about. Thanks to Lauren Mathers from Bandara for having me out and for chatting with me on this episode. You can check them out on their webpage or on Instagram. All episodes of Propagate Season 4 are out now. Find them wherever you get your podcasts. And on the next episode of Propagate. It's really important to understand your values and from there you can then be flexible. So it's not that we set out to be flower millers, it's that we set out to connect with the land and connect with community and support our family. Propagate is a podcast from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries and an initiative by the Young Farmer Business Programme.